Hello, thank you for tuning in to our Empire Lecture Series podcast. We hope this podcast finds you well, whether you're driving to work, between cases, or adding some education to your workout. Remember that all of these lectures are also available on our website and YouTube channel. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars and subscribe. Happy listening. Great to the introduction. So we're delighted to have Dr. Mutar Ahmed from Hackensack joining us this morning. Dr. Ahmed completed his residency training at UMDNJ, and he currently specializes in oncology, laparoscopic and robotic surgery and reconstructive surgery. He's also a clinical assistant professor in, de in, the, de in uh, the Department of Surgery, the Division of Urology at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School. And we're delighted to have him this morning. He's gonna be talking to us about the management of retract urethelial cell carcinoma and some innovative robotic techniques associated with the treatment thereof. So take it away, Dr. Ahmed. All right, good morning, Gina. Thank you for having us. You could hear me, right? Yes, we can hear you and see you perfectly, and your slides are, are perfect as well. Thank you. So we'll try to uh, keep it a little exciting, and I'll try to make this talk a little bit shorter so we can get to the video. And then if we have time, we'll ask you some questions as well. And most of this talk is taken from the AUA, you know, educational uh, website, so it's, uh, I think it'll be good for the residents as well. So we're talking about upper tract urethral carcinoma. As you know, we don't call it TCC anymore. We call it uh, uh, UC. Right. So pathophysiology, you know, malignant erythelial, 90% uh, of the upper tract, squamous cell, small cell endocarcinoma, but majority of them are erythelial origin. And benign fibroepithelial polyp is the most common when you have a benign process. And you can also have inverted papilloma, fibroma, and bone bruns uh, nests. And etiology and risk factor for upper tract urethelial carcinoma, as you know, uh, smoking, uh, bladder cancer, CIS, multifocality, proximity to the ureter orifice, uh, Lynch syndrome, that's one of the questions they may ask. Balkan nephropathy, that's another one. These are abstract questions you will face in the uh, shelf exam. Uh, arsenic, analgesic, occupational exposure, uh, petroleum plastic, as you know, chronic inflammation and infection, and cyclophosphamide. These are some of the uh, risk factors. So epidemiology, upper tract urethelial carcinoma comprises 5 to 10% of all urethelial carcinoma. And incident increasing, especially uh, in patients with CIS. Uh, majority of patients, 60 to 65%, uh, with upper tract present with higher stage disease. Uh, usually diagnosed at older age compared to bladder cancer. Stage four stage outcome are considered to be similar for uh, renal pelvis and ureteral cancer. Uh, it doesn't really uh, matter. And microsatellite instability more prevalent than bladder cancer. And also P53, radinoblastoma, some of these gene mutations can play a role in this thing as well. Uh, so diagnosis is pretty simple. Sign and symptoms, hematuria, Imaging study, I'll show you a quick uh, uh, CAT scan, filling defect and hydronephrosis. Uh, positive cytology with negative bladder, uh, ureteral evaluation is a must. Uh, and you can do uroscopy with retrograde. Uh, filling defect on cross-sectional imaging is uh, upper tract urethelial cancer until otherwise is proven. And CT urogram is very good. Uh, you can also do MRI. 
In the absence of solid tumor, a positive selective cytology indicates CIS. So although it's difficult to show uh, and usually minuscule on the biopsies and, you know, the biopsy is not that perfect and it's not that uh, easily uh, identifiable or easily seen, but sometimes a little redness, sometimes a little res raised area can indicate the location and you can do an appropriate biopsy with uroscopy at that location. Role of fish is unclear in upper tract. Uh, so here, uh, can you see an abnormality in a non-contrast imaging? Uh, really can't. You may see a little bit fuller uh, renal pelvis, but nothing to take home about. But if you go to a, a delayed film, here you could clearly see, I mean, here uh, it could be a central cyst or parapelvic cyst. But if you come down here, you could clearly see a filling defect and irregularities. And that is upper tract urethelial carcinoma until otherwise proven. Clinical staging of upper tract urethelial carcinoma, you know, TX, tumor invasion cannot be assessed. I mean, we all know this, TIS, TA, T1, T2. Obviously, you know, it's hard to show muscle, so it may not be that easy to show T2, uh, but grading is very important when you do biopsy of these things. Uh, so staging issue, as I mentioned, you know, uh, clinical staging is notoriously poor because of this muscle factor. Uh, World Health uh, Organization criteria is low grade or high grade. Uh, Ureteral biopsies often do not have enough penetration to tell about muscle, I keep bringing that point up. Imaging cannot discern involvement of thin muscularities of the ureter. Uh, most tumor likely to be staged as CTX. The risk factor for advanced upper tract urethelial carcinoma. So tumor grade is important, positive cytology, uh, sessile tumor in architecture, the way it looks, uh, multifocality, and hydronephrosis, and tumor size greater than three centimeters. So these are, these can indicate that it's, it's a more advanced uh, uh, type. Non-surgical treatment. So we diagnose, how can we treat this thing? So one of the thing is uh, via slope uh, drip through PCN or through ureteral catheter. Uh, installation using reflux by a stent not accepted. Uh, BCG, rationale, most commonly used agent for CIS. So if you have a CIS, this can be considered. And adjuvant after full er 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 eradication of the tumor. And outcomes, uh, you know, treating is CIS about 40% reoccurrence, 5% progression. So it can be a little bit beneficial, not uh, uh, great as the bladder cancer. Uh, worst result with TA and TZ lesions. Benefit of adjuvant treatment uh, in non-CIS upper tract is uh, unclear. Uh, adverse effects similar to bladder BCG. And we'll talk about when you should give BCG. It's mainly for CIS. That's where it shows most of the benefit. So mitomycin, the rationale most commonly used intracavity agent, right? We know this. Outcome safe and well tolerated but efficiency for upper tract urethelial carcinoma not clear, and low interme uh, intermediate risk patient benefit the most possible. Uh, extrapolated from bladder cancer data, but not really from the ureter, has not been proven or disproven. So Neoadjuvant chemo, this is an important factor to know. So rationale, most patients will lose eligibility for GEMSYS after nephro-U due to impaired renal function. I mean, if you take out the kidney, you only have one kidney and most of these patients are old, so their GFR will drop. So 
there is a rationale that if you give the, uh, and so you may lose the ability to give chemo after you take out the kidney. So the rationale is to do it before if the patient is a, quali uh, is a candidate for it. And the studies have showed that up to 15% of the patient, you may be able to downstage to T0 uh, with this uh, new adjuvant chemo. And the response rate, uh, basically 14% has uh, uh, stage zero and 62% can get stage T2 or less. So that's a significant uh, uh, benefit of giving new adjuvant chemo. You, and the, 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 the fact that you can give it without uh, uh, worrying about uh, the renal function, if you can give it prior to taking out the kidney. So that's an important factor to know. Adverse effect, of course, myelosuppression, neurotoxicity, and neuronephrotoxicity. So endoscopic management, low-grade, small tumor, uh, uroscopy, laser fulguration, that should take care of it, and then you do close surveillance uh, with uroscopy. I mean, in this day and age, where you have a great uh, uroscopic tool and endoscopic tool, this is something you can consider for low-grade tumor, uh, that you could just fulgurate and follow them up with close surveillance, especially if patient has uh, 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 decreased renal function. Anti-grade resection has been described for high-grade tumor as well as invasive, can be considered in case of renal, uh, renal dysfunction and high morbidity. Ureteral tumor, harder to do resection. Uh, laser and fulguration is all can be done in some cases must do a uh, close surveillance and eventually require nephroeuterectomy. So this is for high grade, but for low grade, it is an acceptable uh, uh, things to do is manage them endo, uh, uh, endoscopically. Distal segmental uh, ureterectomy. So indications, so segmental, small, unifocal, uh, upper ureteral tumor, uh, lower ureteral tumor, distal ureterectomy uh, can be done with a bladder cuff and reimplant may need uh, soas H or Boris flaps. So if you're going to do the distal, you have to be mentally ready that you may have to do one of those uh, adjunct procedures as well. Uh, and with the advent of robot, it has become very easy, easy and uh, minimal invasive for the patient to uh, approach distally or directly. And you can do it with the XI or with the SP. It's a single port. It's even easier. Uh, operative consideration, you know, Obviously, if you do open, you got to do midline or Gibson. Uh, and if you do robotic, you can do it with multi-port, XI, or single port, or laparoscopically. Uh, direct contact with the tumor is avoided through proximal ligation of the ureter and a wide cuff of bladder. So you got to respect oncologic uh, aspect of it. Uh, what I do normally is uh, you find where the tumor is, and you'll see a dilatation or a transition point. Uh, you could put a clip above that and then work your way down and make sure you get a white cuff uh, of the bladder. You could send it for frozen section to confirm both end, and that will give you a good uh, uh, idea. And then you could re-implant it, and of course you have to do routine surveillance just like any other urothelial carcinoma. Uh, regenerative lymph node uh, dissection should be considered for prognostic, and there are some data indicates that there may be also a therapeutic uh, benefit. So that is also what we're doing now, which is doing uh, regional lymph node dissection. So radical nephroeuterectomy indication for high grade and also for low grade if it is a bulky disease, uh, especially in the renal pelvis or in the uh, upper ureter. Uh, operative consideration, you know, you, you should have a one centimeter bladder cuff 
but it is not absolutely necessary if the UO is adequately resected. And, uh, but it is preferable to get a nice uh, bladder cup with a good margin. Now, in old days, before the robot, uh, we were doing transurethral, uh, going around the ureter orifices and then kind of uh, pull the ureter out. Uh, but now with uh, better uh, a tool, uh, especially the robot, we don't need to do that anymore. We can really approach it and get a nice cuff. And I'll show that in the video and you'll see, you'll appreciate how it can be done in a very controlled fashion and very oncologic manner, which I thought when we were doing laparoscopically, either you clipping, you stapling the distal ureter or doing a transurethral, I just felt that we weren't getting an adequate margin or adequate tissue at that UO. Uh, but with the robot, things has really changed. Uh, as I mentioned, lymphadenectomy respective, uh, retros uh, retrospective data shows potential benefit in a high-risk patient. You should have at least eight lymph nodes and the, you should do a retroperitoneal periaortic and also do the common iliac on that side and uh, the obturator node. Uh, so, I mean, it's a little bit more work, but again, with the robot, it's not that difficult to do these uh, nodes, but you should at least have an idea of the template and that's the template that you should think about. Outcomes, five-year reoccurrence-free and cancer-specific uh, survival uh, were 69% and 73% respectively, not bad. And I'm pretty sure with the advent of new adjuvant chemo, things are probably better now. Uh, so bladder cancer prevention after nephro use. So this is very important, another good take-home message. Two randomized prospective uh, studies have shown a significant reduction in bladder cancer reoccurrence after nephrohydrectomy using intercabinetary therapy. So intravesical installation of an approved chemotherapy agent such as mitomycin or gemcitovin, which is in the US, uh, after nephrohydrectomy and before catheter removal should be considered and it's a new standard of care. So very important, after nephro-U, you should give one of those two agents and uh, before you pull out the Foley and preferably you give it within first 24 to 48 hours. Uh, and that can prevent uh, uh, future uh, bladder cancer in the bladder itself. So in this trial, treatment were performed before Foley removal, which we already mentioned. Uh, adjuvant chemotherapy, so randomized phase three trial demonstrated that adjuvant chemotherapy consists four cycle of gemcitovine, cisplatin, and resulted in improved progression-free survival compared to uh, surveillance. So again, this is important, right? I mean. But if we can give new adjuvant where you can give it to all the patient and before the surgery and where the adjuvant is, you take out the kidney, if your GFR drops significantly, even if the patient is a candidate, you cannot give. So try to give new adjuvant before if you think you have a high-grade tumor. Uh, that will really help with the situation and with the patient long-term uh, reoccurrence-free survival. So metastatic disease treatment for it, response rate in patient with metastatic upper tract are 20 to 60%, durable, complete response are rare, less than 5%. Uh, again, uh, GC and platinum, uh, sorry, GC and MVAC, uh, or isoformide, uh, texane, or carboplatin, any of these can be used. Uh, adverse effect of platinum-based regimen for upper tract urethral carcinoma include renal, neurologic, hematologic and cardiac toxicity. So these are something important to know for your uh, board exam as well. And uh, radiation treatment role has not been clearly uh, defined. So 
I think we gave you a good summary of the upper tract, uh, urothelial carcinoma. So we'll go to the video section or the technique section. And what I want to show you is, uh, you know, most of you guys, I'm pretty sure, have uh, access to XI robot. The SP is not available, so I'm not going to show SP video, but we've been also doing lots of SP nephrohydrectomy and distal hydrectomy. But here in this video, in this technique, since majority of us have access to XI, I'll show you a video and a technique on how to do uh, the nephro on a single docking without having to be docked and reinstall the machine or reposition the machine. So here's a simple, uh, uh, it's a left-sided uh, nephro U that we're planning to do on this patient. And this is a technique that I find the most uh, useful uh, when you do it and that will uh, uh, eliminate the need for redocking or repositioning the robot. Uh, so here you could see that this is one of the working port. This is the costal margin, working port, assistant port, camera, working port, and then moving the fourth arm, working port medial, almost to the midline. Sometimes I go even uh, medial to the midline or to the other side of the midline. And so pretty much straight three, a little bit lateral, the first working port and the fourth working port or the third working port, more medial. And with this, you could see, so when you work here, the machine can be just rotated and that can be your focal point. And if you're working here, that could be your focal point. Uh, so as opposed to, for a kidney, we normally do this, bring this one over here more lateral, that would be for a radical nephrectomy. So that's a little difference for uh, nephro U, single docking. And here's the, how it looks like after the port placement. And uh, here's how it looks like, you know, uh, some people do targeting. I really don't do targeting. I just do targeting with the uh, laser that is provided by the robot. And long as my axis is in line, then this is how I know that this is okay to work here and okay to work here. If I was doing just a nephrectomy, this axis will be a little bit oblique, like this fashion, because that way it gives you a sure shot to the kidney. And so this is how the robot looks like after docking, and I'm working on the renal hilum. You see the axis is like this. And then when we shift to... Uh, distal ureter or the bladder cuff is like this. So you could see that, we, and, and this can be done because the XI rotates. You don't have to redock, you don't have to undock, your assistant don't have to do anything. You just, the machine just moves and you could approach both sides because it has a very nice wide range of motion. And this is how it looks like after uh, the specimen is removed, you could see the specimen is already brought out through the assistant port and will make the incision because this is a straight line and you could bring out the specimen right through that incision connecting these two port uh, So Let's go to the video. There you go, good, it's working perfect. So I start off uh, showing you here the nephrectomy component, I mean, I'll just move forward on, with this one quickly. Uh, again, I just want to bring out when you do uh, the nephrectomy part or when you do radical nephrectomy, make sure you mobilize the upper corner, upper lateral corner. If it is spleen there, you mobilize the spleen really well. 
I, I almost always start at that location of my dissection. And if you're on the right side, mobilize that corner first and get the liver out of the way. So what it does is that it mobilizes the kidney and it makes the uh, life easier and makes the, you know, you can move the kidney uh, downward and increase the mobility and can get to the hilum pretty quickly. And obviously, you know, we're always taught that you should approach the lower pole first, find the ureter, find the gonadal. That's all good when you're first starting out. But as you make more progress, you can change things around. So I usually start, get that uh, spleen or liver out of the way and then work on the upper part of the hilum, uh, which is right here. And that's the renal vein. And get the window going here. Obviously, we're not taking adrenal from this patient, so we drop the adrenal here. And uh, get in between the plane of the adrenal and the kidney. And we have the upper uh, part of the renal vein and the hilum freed. And I'm just going to do a little bit more of the upper pole work. And then we'll come back to the lower pole. I'll just fast forward a little bit. And that's the hilum. And we take it and block. We're not doing... Uh, I, I transplant kidney, so usually in block uh, stapling is uh, sufficient for this part. And uh, you can direct the assistant with your robotic uh, scissor, obviously you could see, and make sure it's well parallel and you are connected to the window of the upper edge of the renal vein and window to the lower part of the renal vein. And the artery is obviously behind the renal vein and you freed up the posterior part pretty well. So you got it in one shot and you save money instead of using two stapler load or clips. So we're done with the kidney pretty much. That's a little bit of the upper pole left. And you see the upper pole is always a little annoying because that goes all the way to the corner and you got to really mobilize that part and get it off. And it's a hard area to work with when you're doing either laparoscopic or robot. Uh, but using appropriate fourth arm traction, you see how we were holding it up, and we're gonna go back and hold it up even further, hold it down, and using the appropriate uh, pulling down technique uh, can get you there, and then you just a little bit of the lateral uh, connection left, and using that fourth arm for your benefit, for your retraction is tremendous. So really learn how to use the fourth arm uh, to retract, to move the tissue around, to lift things up, and that really gives you a best dynamic and best uh, way uh, to really speed up the case and help with your uh, dissection. So you see, I'm holding it up again with the fourth arm and the last, this patient had a little bit of a sticky uh, fat or a very uh, elastic fat. So it just doesn't want to rip or uh, separate. So you, we have to cut every single uh, uh, section off. So this is the upper pole. We'll be done with the kidney. I'm gonna fast forward and hopefully get to the ureter part. Okay, so the upper pole is pretty much freed. Yeah, so there you go. Just a little bit of the lateral part left. So you see how we're manhandling the kidney with that fourth arm. And the fact that I wanna show you that even though we put that fourth arm medially, it still can do the work. It's still not fighting with us. It's still not getting in our way. It's still able to provide that retraction that we need. Normally we're thinking if we don't put it laterally, it's not gonna be out of our way. But despite the fact this is medial, it's still helping us uh, with the uh, retraction. So that's the key that the fourth arm has to be on the scene and you have to put it in a way where it can help you. Uh, and putting it medially, although you are getting ready for the ureteral part, but it does help you with the kidney part as well.
So now we're going to move into the uh, a little bit of the lateral lower pole lateral uh, connection. And you see how using that fourth arm really pulling that kidney down uh, medially. And uh, there you go. So there's the ureter. And that's the proximal part of the ureter and we'll drive down. So you see how using that fourth arm, uh, lifting up the ureter. So you don't need another assistant to hold the ureter up. The assistant can hold the bowel or suction for you, which is doing. And then we go down. And one thing we like to do is not to strip the ureter. So you'll see that I always burning a little bit away from the ureter. Uh, so we don't want to strip the ureter in case there's disease. And sometimes you have to go wide anyhow. So try to go a little bit away from the ureter and burn this vessel a little bit away instead of stripping on it. And again, so we're driving down toward the distal part of the ureter, taking down the peritoneum. And you'll see we're gonna over the iliac. And uh, so we'll make the uh, peritoneal reflection incise it because that's what is holding the ureter and covering it up. Uh, so you see, we didn't have to uh, undock the robot. We just naturally shifted ourselves toward the ureter without needing to do anything. And you can see the work is not limited. The space is not limited. We can hold the ureter up again with the fourth arm. It's able to give us a great traction. And uh, you could see the iliac right here. And uh, there is the iliac. So if you want to do a lymph node dissection later, you have a good exposure, you can do this. So it's going over the uh, iliac artery and then very soon we're going to get to the obturator fossa. You could probably see the obturator nerve as well. That's the iliac vein. So always try to identify the structure. That's the external iliac, iliac vein. And uh, one thing what I like to do is not work in the ureter anymore, but open the sidewall of the bladder open the pelvic sidewall because that gives you a really a good exposure. A, when you get down to the, uh, uh, the bladder cuff and B, when you do, if you want to do lymph node, you have a good exposure to the operator uh, uh, area and the sidewall is open and you have a good wide exposure as opposed to working on a uh, deep hole. You see, so by opening the sidewall, the ureter is exposed and it's coming up nicely. And, use it, and opening the sidewall also lift up the bladder. So you're not working down in the hole. Uh, you'll see shortly what I'm talking about. And obviously you'll put a clip proximally on the ureter so you don't have too much of a rundown. So again, you'll see how we're gonna readjust the fourth arm and hold things medially. And now you could see uh, the ureter, you could see the median umbilical ligament right here. And obviously that is lateral to the ureter and that's a nice way to do it. And by freeing up this sidewall, you have a good exposure. And now all you have to do is just follow the ureter. And see, a lot of time I will leave the ureter and cut this stuff that is anterior because that's what will help to lift it up. And that's the key. You want to be able to lift up that ureter instead of working in a hole because then when you suture the bladder, it will be really helpful and beneficial that your whole area is exposed. And obviously you could ask me a question, you know, right after the video is finished because I'm seeing that.
All right, so we're almost going down to the UVJ, but it's a lot further than we normally think. You got to keep stripping once you come to that level and burn those vessels. There's always some anterior vessel, and uh, those usually, if you just cut through them, it will bleed, so you fulgurate ahead of time. And uh, right there, see these vessels? We'll burn them and then strip them down. It's always good to use the tip of the scissor because that gives you the maximum energy uh, transfer. Uh, and almost there. See, so there is no need to fill up the bladder, no need to uh, put any dye inside the bladder. I mean, the, I, I do it very simple. You don't need to do uh, endoscopic uh, uroscope or urethroscope in the bladder to show you where the orifice is. Uh, it will just take you. If you follow the anatomical landmark and you pull the, uh, pull the ureter up, it will take you down to the bladder. And just remember, the intramural part of the ureter is very thick. There is a lot of tissue from where it enters the bladder to where it comes out. And uh, you've seen it in pediatric urology when they do cross-sectional Cohen uh, uh, trigonal uh, reimplant that you really have to dissect the ureter. So now you could see clearly the bladder. We have a clearly nice wide bladder cuff. And here, I, gotta, I, I wanted to show you that you got to move the camera, move the instrument to the middle of the surgical field. The, if you expect your assistant to give you the needle all the way down there, he will get into a little bit of a struggle. That's why I just moved my arm to where he can give me the stuff very easily instead of fighting with the needle and touching some untold structure. So here, I didn't cut the rest of the year. I just left the uh, extravesicular stuff on it because that will help to retract the bladder up when I grab it, and I can do the anastomol, I mean, I could do the bladder closure, mucosal to mucosal, but if I would cut it, it will retract completely in, and it may be difficult for me to see the mucosa. So here we're getting a nice closure, mucosal to mucosal, and this is a simple VLOX suture, either a 2 or 3 or you could just stratifix, whatever you like, filter choice. Uh, but one of those barb sutures is great because uh, it really closes things together and you don't get an air knot. So again, you see that we're using the bipolar as our needle driver. So this is some of the thing. As you get better at robot, you should start thinking about how can I save money? So you, I could have very easily used two needle driver, but that will cost another $250. So that saves you 250 bucks, and it's pretty good instrument for a suturing as well. Uh, it's not as great as needle driver, but you get used to it. Uh, so start to think about what kind of instrument you like for dual use and use those instruments instead of using the increased uh, instrument counts and uh, that definitely drives up the cost. So you could clearly see that we are getting a good mucosal to mucosal uh, closure. Uh, and then at the very end, we'll go and cut that rest of the uh, uh, perivesicular attachment to the ureter, not a mucosal attachment, so that way we'll separate the ureter completely off the bladder. And the two or three suture is enough. It looks a lot bigger, but once you close them up, the bladder actually closes up pretty well. And uh, you know, when you do a good closure like this, you don't have to keep the catheter for 10 days. Most of the time I remove my Foley out in four to five days, don't do cystogram. We'll just fill the bladder here sometimes just to check, make sure we don't have any leak. And if there is no leak, then I'll take out the catheter in four or five days without a cystogram in the office. And just a lot, last bit, I think one more uh, bite of the closure and that should close the bladder and then we'll cut the rest of the uter off.
And again, see, this is a suture cut needle driver. So I don't have to ask for a scissor because each time you change instrument, something may go wrong. And if something goes wrong, then you waste another five, 10 minutes. So I, again, you know, these are some of the things that you could keep in your mind that once you get comfortable, that you could use these multi-purpose uh, instrument uh, to save time and to save cost. So here, I'm just gonna show you a quickly uh, how the cuff looks. And uh, there you go. It's a nice wide cuff. Uh, there is no doubt about it that we have a good margin. That's just a vascular uh, structure. There you go. Okay, and you see, I'll bring that uh, needle to the midfield. I'm not going to have him go there to uh, grab that needle up. So this is just a peritoneal deflection. Uh, yeah, so now he's gonna come and grab the needle. It's very hard to grab something there. He can do suction, he could do traction, but, and that's pretty much it with this video. So let's go to, So the next is, uh, I have qu some questions uh, from, the, uh, uh, from the shelf exam. Uh, but before that, maybe we could ask some questions on technique. And by the way, we're also doing a lot of uh, NEF4U with SP. Now SP is uh, very is fun, although it takes a little bit of a learning uh, 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 moment, but it can be even more helpful in doing NEF4U because the head just rotates and you could do a tissue targeting and then you work on the kidney and then you could just rotate the robot by yourself all the way down to the pelvis and do the ureter part. Uh, and all through a single three centimeter incision. Uh, and we have devised a way to uh, also uh, put our assistant port through the uh, gel port. Uh, I mean, that's another whole conversation and we can definitely talk about that another time in the future time on how to use the SP in various different types of cases to obtain even more minimal invasive surgery. Uh, so I'll field questions if you guys have any questions before we go to some of my questioning. Yeah, that was great. Very, very um, helpful to go through the video like that in such detail. I think the re you know residents benefit from being walked through the surgery. Um, some of the questions that came in so one, one involves the pluck technique, um, whereby there's endoscopic resection of the ureteral orifice to facilitate uh, to the perivesical fat to then facilitate just removing the ureter and block through the nephrectomy, um, through, an, through the extraction site. Yeah. Um, this person wants to know if, if now we're giving post-op intravesical chemo, if this technique is viable anymore since the bladder will, will thus be opened and that, that uh, puts the patient at risk of systemic absorption. Yeah, that's a great question. So that's why I actually moved away from plug technique. And closing the bladder is the uh, best way. And you could just you know, put some saline, make sure there is no leak, and then you know you can give the intervesicular therapy. You know, this is the safest and the best way to do it. And I know in the laparoscopic time, you know, going back 10, 12, 15 years ago, we used to do plug technique. And at that time, I wouldn't want to give uh, mitomycin because that will definitely, you know, if you have a leak, that will definitely create a lot of problem for you down the line for the patient. So yeah, absolutely, that's a great question. Okay. Any concern about 
quartzite metastasis with with um, with um, use of the robotic system for um, you know upper, any like how would you secure the distal ureter prior to distract uh, extraction? And to your knowledge, is there any increased risk of quartzite mets? Right. So I haven't seen quartzite mets with nephro use, uh, but I have seen one case of quartzite mets with cystectomy. You know. So I think if you practice, you know, proper oncologic concern uh, that you don't get spillage, you control the spillage to a minimal level. Uh, I don't think that's a port site uh, is not that much of a, uh, uh, an issue because we don't see it even in bladder cancer as much. Uh, so, but obviously you don't have an obvious spillage. So you put the clip on the ureter way before, uh, wherever the tumor is, you make sure you put a clip below that. And, uh, you know, obviously, if you have a bladder cancer, you're going to treat that bladder cancer first, right? And then you do that for you. Uh, and uh, you can also irrigate the area with the water instead of saline. So that can help. And uh, maintaining proper oncologic uh, uh, terms and water, that uh, should eliminate any kind of concern. Okay, you spoke about the importance of um, administering, you know, the neoadjuvant chemotherapy when somebody has optimal renal function. Uh, any any special considerations surgically or with your operative technique in a patient that's been exposed to neoadjuvant chemo? Um, you know, difficulty with the resection, et cetera, things like that. Yeah, so you know, we do a lot of cystectomy after uh, neoadjuvant chemo. Uh, so. You know, I, I found like in open cases, we had a lot more adherent, but in a robotic case, for some reason, you know, the new adjuvant really hasn't made anything uh, any, any more tougher, I would say. Uh, but, you know, TCC itself, when you have, let's say, T3, T4, itself can be very stucky sometimes. So those cases are difficult, I think, regardless. But when you're doing a, a lymph node dissection, I would say uh, some of the patients who get neoadjuvant chemo can have more adherent nodes. Uh, but overall, I don't think it makes it a significant uh, difference. But yeah, lymph node, I think part can be a little bit more stucky, a little more adherent. Um, can you clarify which of the ports you use for extraction of your specimen? Okay, I'll go back here. So here, so this is the assistant port. This was the camera port. So I'll basically take the string of the bag out through the assistant port because as a 12, that, that's where he could grab it with. And then I'll just connect this with this port. So the camera port and the assistant port will be connected and we could pull the specimen out. Okay, I think that that tops off the questions from the audience. Um, we'll invite you to go through some of the CSAP questions. Um, but before you start that, I want to, while we have everybody on the line, encourage everybody to fill out the Empire survey. Um, Mike, Michael Smigelski has posted the link. It's, it's critical that everyone um, take a moment just to fill out this survey in order to um, collect data on the impact of initiatives such as Empire Urology. So please do take some time to do that during the course of the day. Uh, we've also posted the link to the um, New York section Twitter account. Okay, Dr. Ahmed, please, uh, we invite you to, to start the question portion. All right. 
So, uh, you know, a 61-year-old man with no prior history of bladder cancer has uh, right laparoscopic nephrodectomy for a three-centimeter renal pelvic tumor. No lymph node are removed during surgery. Pathology shows invasion, invasive high-grade urothelial carcinoma uh, involving the lamina propria. Bladder cuff margin is negative for tumor. His post-operative estimated GFR is 63. The next step is... Any, uh, any taker, how do we know? I mean, we talked about this directly. Right? So this is a nephew. Uh, he didn't get uh, uh, pre-op uh, chemo, but this is an important question of giving intravesicular uh, mitomycin, right? So this is uh, A. So that was the point that I was trying to hammer, uh, that post-op should try to give uh, one of those agents, either, either gemcitabine or uh, mitomycin. Everybody's clear on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll invite the audience to post any questions in the chat if they have any specific questions about the items you're reviewing. And I'll interrupt you if any of those come up. But I think okay. it's great the way you're doing this to uh, review the question and your thought process behind the, the answers. Okay, thank you. So we'll go to the next one. 68-year-old uh, diabetic man has one centimeter left proximal ureteral non-invasive high-grade urothelial carcinoma. So it's one centimeter, non-invasive, high-grade. His serum creatinine is 0 0.9. Abdominal CT scan is otherwise normal. So the next step is, uh, so uroscopic ablation. Obviously, his creatinine is normal, and he's in high-grade. Uh, probably not. Percutaneous uh, resection, so it's similar A and B. Uh, left partial ureterectomy. This is a proximal ureteral. I don't think so. Uh, left ureterectomy with Boris flap. Again, it's proximal. I don't know. Uh, can we get a Boris flap up there? Left radical nephroureterectomy. So it's a high grade, normal kidney function. That is the choice provided here. The best answer is left radical nephroureterectomy. Now, you could make a case that if there was a choice here, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, you can make a case for neoadjuvant since it's high grade. Now, it says, though, it's non-invasive. So if it is non-invasive, you already know the stage. So for T1, you don't need neoadjuvant. We try to give neoadjuvant for T2. However, as I said, when we do biopsy of the ureteral lesion, a lot of time, all you will know is the grade. You will not know what stage because it's hard to get muscle. So if it is a bulky disease, if it was one to two centimeter and it came back as a high grade, even if I didn't know the stage, I will have this patient get evaluated by an oncologist and think about giving him new adjuvant chemo before I do you. However, the new adjuvant chemo is not, the choice is not here, and this is not an invasive high grade, so the best answer is left radical and free refractive. That makes sense? I hope I cleared the point. Yep, no questions from the floor. <laughs> All right. So the next question is, 77-year-old man with hypertension, coronary artery disease, and creatinine of 1.3, has gross hematuria, cystoscopy reveals normal bladder, and bilateral retrograde shows small distal ureteral filling defect at the right side. On uroscopy, there is a five millimeter sol solitary papillary tumor on biopsy demonstrate low-grade urethelial. The next step is, so this is a 77, 1.3, you know, borderline renal function, uh, five millimeter solitary, low-grade urothelial carcinoma. So among the discussion, which answers make the best sense? No BCG, obviously. 
Uroscopic laser ablation of the tumor, that makes sense. Segmental resection, it's a low grade, five millimeter, I think that's overdone. Distal uterectomy with reimplant, again, it's probably overdone. Laparoscopic nephrouterectomy uh, is probably overdone. So low grade, small tumor, you could do uroscopic laser ablation followed by surveillant uroscopy. So B is the best answer. Uh, let's see, 50-year-old smoker with gross hematuria has a one centimeter left mid-ureteral filling defect on CT urograph. The lesion is biopsied and laser ablation, ablated uroscopically histologic it reveals an inverted papilloma. The next step is, we talked about inverted papilloma as being one of the most common benign tumor of the ureter. So if it is a benign, you just do surveillance of the bladder and upper tract. I think that's the best answer. And I think that's good. Let me see if there is one more question. A six-year-old smoker has a, has a highly suspicious voided urinary cytology. CT urogram is normal. Cystoscopy, bladder biopsy, and bilateral retrograde pilogram is normal. Selective left upper tract cytology are highly suspicious for malignancy. So you have a left-sided uh, cytology, uh, selective cytology are suspicious for malignancy. So, you know, in your head, this is most likely a CIS. So in 2020, we don't go by selective, uh, selective cytology. What we do, we do diagnostic ureteroscopy. So the best answer is left uh, ureteropiloscopy. That's the answer. I mean, I guess 20 years ago or 30 years ago, uh, you could probably get away with uh, doing a left uh, nephroureterectomy, but in 2020, you must, you should, and every effort to do diagnostic uroscopy to really know what you're dealing with before you take somebody's kidney out. Because I'm pretty sure in old days, at least 20% were negative uh, finding. Uh, all right, so I think these are good. Uh, we're close to 850 or 848. I'll stop here with the questioning and we could have uh, some live chat if you wish. Yeah, that was great. We, um, we've seen to uh, address all the questions in the chat function. Um, yeah, I think that, what would you suggest? So during this period of time where we're trying to ramp, re-ramp up for cases and recover from um, the volume of patients that were uh, treated for COVID, how would you recommend um, residents maintain their robotic skills or enhance their robotic skills during this time? Yeah, I mean, it was tough, you know, tough three months. Our residents, same thing. Uh, our volume was probably down to 10%. Uh, but um, I, I think if you have access to a laparoscopic simulator or a robotic simulator, you should spend time on that. 